We are the visionaries. The rule breakers. The rebels. And then trailblazers. We are the change makers. We want to recognise the traditional peoples of this continent whose land was stolen nearly 250 years ago. We at Young Changemakers Headquarters would like to particularly acknowledge the traditional landowners where we are recording and editing our stories, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The rich storytelling history of the world's oldest living culture is what we proudly pay respect to when we share stories at conversations with changemakers. It is said that the practice of storytelling sustains communities, validates experiences, nurtures relationships, and serves as a form of important cultural continuation for Indigenous peoples. Changemakers and the stories that we share, we too hope relationships are nurtured, experiences validated, and our community sustained. This week on Conversations with Changemakers, the theme is your leader. We're talking everything leadership. Today, I'm talking to Emma Benison, who has over 20 years experience as a CEO and non-executive director. She is a writer, speaker, and advocate. Emma diverted her singing career to take on a role as a receptionist at Access Arts, combining her twin passions for arts and disability advocacy, where she worked her way up as a leader to become an executive officer. Emma is currently Chief Innovation Officer at Life Without Barriers and is driven by a commitment to developing tomorrow's leaders. Hi, Emma. Hi, Ellie. Great to be here. It's so good to have you. Um, so we're talking everything leadership. I want to start by asking you if you can remember a time or a story when you believe you showed the greatest amount of leadership. Oh, <laughs> well, there are so many stories about about leadership, but I think um, I think one of the times I feel like I really showed um, leadership was when I was the CEO of Arts Access Australia, which is the national representative organisation, or was then of arts and disability or artists with disability. And um, they released a national cultural policy or well, the government, the federal government released a national cultural policy. And the policy spoke of the fact that what was needed in, in order to ensure people with disability were included in the arts was a culture of tolerance. And obviously that really upset the community. And so I was able to mobilise the community because of course leadership is never about one person or you know it's never about power or hierarchy it's about that ability to mobilize people behind you know a shared vision and so um, it was great to be able to get people behind a campaign 
and get them, um, you know, writing to um, the minister and um, and really um, challenging this assumption and advocating for something different. And as a as a direct result of the community's intervention, um, I was then able to meet with the minister and with the CEO of the Australia Council for the Arts. And um, over over time, what we what we ended up with was dedicated funding um, to support the work of and the development of artists with disability, which is something that we'd never had before in Australia. Um, and it was really difficult. It was a difficult process because I had people on one side of the of the fence wanting me to take a really hard line approach and go hard in the media and really put it out there. And, and then I had, you know, other people wanting us to take a more conservative approach. And so the leadership sort of balancing act was to try and figure out how to, um, you know, how to walk that tightrope in a way that was respectful, but firm. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a fantastic outcome. It certainly sounds like an amazing outcome. For people who maybe don't understand why tolerance is uh, something that isn't really acceptable as a as a national goal in arts, can you maybe just quickly explain why that that sure. didn't fly with the community? Well, I think I think somebody said to me once that. Um, they tolerate mosquitoes, and that I thought that was a very good analogy. I mean, we are we are people with human rights. Um, we're not people who are who are less than, who need to be kind of accommodated and tolerated. We have a significant contribution to make to the you know social, cultural, economic life of our communities, and so to be to be sort of um, relegated to a group of people that need to be sort of you know, managed, fixed, tolerated, you can extrapolate a whole lot of other sort of um, mm. meanings from that word. But, you know, I just, I think people just felt like, um, you know, it was a really, really unfortunate terminology. Yes, uh, to say the least, really. Mm. Um, it's interesting because you talk about leadership not being about one person, which is not how it's usually thought of. And yesterday I was speaking to Kurt Fernley about leadership. And um, when I asked him the question I want to ask you now, which is what characteristic do you believe is most undervalued in leadership? He talked about kindness being the uh, value that is um, underrepresented in, in leadership. And you're talking about it not being one person, but uh, um, bringing people together. It, what characteristic do you, you think is undervalued in leadership and, and and why is that? And it's interesting that you both kind of are pointing towards a type of leadership that isn't an authority figure that people must follow as a decision maker. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I'm glad you told me that he said kindness because I would have said kindness too. Um, I, I think it's absolutely right. Um, but the other sort of, I think, related um, qualities that I would say are really important are courageous compassion. And I say that because I think there's a sense that if you are 
going to make a courageous decision and you do often as a leader have to make really courageous decisions that might make you unpopular, for example, but you don't have to do that in a way that alienates people. Um, you can do it in a way that's compassionate and I and you can do that in a way that that brings people on that sort of adventure with you um, to say, well, you know, yes, yes, I have to make this decision and maybe it's not the most popular thing that, you know, I could have done, but this is why it's important and this is why, um, you know, we need to do this. And if you can get people to line up behind that and you can do that in a way that brings them along, then, you know, um, you're going to be much better off than sort of taking that authoritarian hard line um, approach. But I would also say that it applies to advocacy and leadership in the advocacy space. Um, I think that my experience of advocacy as a leader is that you get a lot further if you can sit down with people and demonstrate some understanding of where the other person or the other organisation or whatever it is might be coming from um, and, and actually show some level of compassion um, whilst you're also displaying the courage of, of your convictions. So, um, yeah, I, th I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Yes, absolutely. Compassion goes a long way. Um, it's interesting because that goes to what we've been talking about last week in the Change Makers program, which was about finding out who you were as a person and how that drives um, your change making abilities. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the really broad ways we were talking about it is: Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Mm -hmm. um, would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert, Emma? Absolutely, an introvert. People would laugh yeah. at me when I say that. Like people who know me would go, "What? Well, you're not an introvert. You're an extrovert. The thing about um, introversion that, you know, you've probably already talked about, but I think it's really important, um, is that I can um, I can be extroverted when I need to be. I can go out and, and stand on a stage and talk to 500 people or, you know, go and network, uh, you know, as, as I need to. And um, how did you get those skills as an introvert? How were you able to, like, tap into that oh, ability? I, I ter used to terrify me. Um, but I think really what it comes down to is if, if you are passionate enough about what you do and the organisations that you lead to and and the communities that you're there to serve that that you think that 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 their mission is more important than your own comfort which it always should be um then you will put yourself in in places of discomfort in order to yeah. achieve the result and so that's what i had to do um you know i mean it, i i also had a a very strong voice in my head that said you know particularly when i started um leading Arts Access Australia because I was the first person with disability to ever lead that organisation and I had a strong voice in my head that said I wasn't good enough um, and so I really had to um, I, I had to teach myself to um, to see myself as worthy and it took a long time so um, you know but I think in terms of the introversion extroversion thing um, yeah I just had to keep doing it and I remember distinctly one day somebody said to me somebody said 
to someone else. They were talking about me sort of in front of me and they said, oh, Emma is an extraordinary networker. You know, you need to talk to her. She, she'll be able to get you in touch with the people you need to meet. And I was gobsmacked because I'm like, I'm a t- I don't think I'm a very good networker at all. But then when I stopped to think about it, I thought, well, actually, there's more than one way to network. And I am very good at linking people together um, and facilitating relationships. So, you know, um, I think that over time, if you are prepared to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions, um, you can actually um, achieve those results. But the other thing that's equally important is that you need to give yourself breathing space to recover. And I wish I'd known this as a younger leader because I used to get myself into really, really um, exhausting sort of situations because I I didn't give myself enough recovery time Um and I, I think my performance training, my training as a performing artist really helped me to understand this, that yes, you can get up and, and perform or speak or whatever it is you're doing, um, but then you do need to give yourself that time out to rejuvenate um, and, to, and to really kind of um, get, your, get back to your centre. Otherwise, you just kind of end up on a treadmill and, and it becomes very difficult. And in that process, is there a time for goal setting and reflections I as a leader do you set goals and do you reflect on your achievements or how things went what went wrong um is that part of all the time all the time um yeah I think in order to be effective you have to be you have to be very self-aware and you have to be very self-reflective um and and you have to also it's not enough for you to be sort of sitting in your kind of um, cave being self-aware and self-reflective, you've also then got to go back to your team and then more broadly to the community that you serve and have those, you know, courageous conversations because they can be very difficult sometimes, particularly if you failed at something. Um, you have to be able to go back and say, well, okay, you know, this didn't work out. Let's let's talk about, you know, what what in this process did go well, but then also how can we do better? Um, next time and you know I don't really believe in failure I just believe in you know trying something and seeing how it works and then and then tweaking it or you know trying something else I yeah don't really don't really see it as failure yeah it's all it is so cheesy to say but it is a learning lesson in like okay that didn't work we have to go about it a different way Mm. what are the different ways we can go about it oh okay there's this way and that way we didn't actually think of that before um if we hadn't got it wrong we wouldn't have come to those different ways of thinking about it yeah but I think it's also seeing patterns in your own behavior too as a leader if if you're consistently seeing that something's not working and you've and and you keep going back and unconsciously, because it is often unconscious, repeating the same pattern, then, you know, you have a job to actually sit down and go, well, okay, what's what's going on here? What's the underlying kind of belief or attitude that's driving my behaviour? Because, you know, you're setting an example for a team or a, um, or a sector or whatever it is you're leading. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really important to be that self-aware. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point all right I asked Kurt this um and I'm interested in knowing what you think if you were to create a disability leadership manifesto what principles or values would you make sure you included 
Um, well, I mean, firstly, it's about scale. I think, you know, we need leaders, we need leaders with disability um, at scale across our community. This is, this is one of the major challenges I think we have as a community that we're not visible enough. So visibility and scale would be, would be one. Um, I think also. Um, Can you just, sorry, go into a yep. bit of detail about what you mean about scale? Well, yeah, I think there are pockets of disability leadership. There are people who are doing disability leadership, um, but there are not enough of us and there are certainly not enough of us at senior executive level in organisations. I mean, there are not enough of us in organisations that exist to serve us, let alone in um, organisations across the community like media, government, you know, um, large businesses, all of that. So, you know, that we do have a problem in that it's still the exception rather than the rule. Yes. Um, yes. So there's that. Um, <clears throat> I also think as people with disability, you know, we internalise a lot of ableism and I think that we need to um, be better at, and it's not all down to us, but I think we need to be better at um, articulating our own value proposition to the world. Um, we're often sort of, without even being conscious of it, apologising for our existence. And I think we've got to stop mm. doing that. We've got to stop doing that. We are an absolute benefit, an absolute asset to our society. And um, we we have got to start um, stepping into our power and owning that because, um, you know, if we don't, then we'll always be seen as the token disabled person at the table. And so, how you know, would you articulate? How would you articulate our value proposition? Well, I think you know we are. I always say we're awesome problem solvers. Um, yeah. We're awesome at um, meeting meeting challenges. Uh, we have extraordinary, um, you know, experience of what it's like to be um, excluded, um, and and we have incredible. Um, amounts of courage and and kindness and compassion as as Kurt and I have talked about you know we we really um we really have those qualities in spades um and the reason we have those qualities is because we spend our entire lives our personal lives are surrounded by those qualities we wouldn't be able to exist in the world if we didn't have those qualities and they are all they also just happen to be excellent leadership qualities so why are we not um, talking them up. Why are we not talking ourselves up? Um, yeah. But the but the other thing I would say is, if we're talking about a, a kind of manifesto, is I am heartily sick of um, of us being seen as the problem. So yeah. I get that leaders need to have leaders with disability do need capacity building and that's because we often haven't had the part-time job at McDonald's or we often haven't had the um, developmental opportunities to have tertiary education or, or whatever it might be or we haven't had the opportunities to step into a leadership role because we're not seen as a safe pair of hands but I'm also just heartily sick of the fact that no one ever talks about the development that that organisations need in order mm -hmm. to employ um, leaders with disability. And I really think that we've gone too far in the direction of developing individuals 
well, that's I'm I'm not denying that that's absolutely necessary. But honestly, we've been being capacity built for years, and yeah, um, and I so I think that we now need to sort of shift our focus um, towards also building the capacity of our organisations as well. And our communities. And our communities, and yeah. Our, our organisations and our service providers and, you know, every part of the Everybody. community needs yeah. to be capacity built yeah. to actually respond to our needs instead of us constantly being forced into the box of what they need us to do. Well, I mean, look, the the, the slightly cynical part of me um, would honestly have to say that it's it's actually it's actually a a very convenient a very convenient way of um, of keeping us keeping us silent, because by saying, look, we'll just give you some capacity building, and then hopefully you'll be ready. Nobody actually mm-hmm. has to do anything, do they? Nobody actually no. has to appoint a person with disability to an executive leadership role. They can just say, oh, we're, do- we're doing a lot of capacity building. It's great, <laughs> you know, but they don't actually have it's to. Always, it's always later. It's always yeah. in the future. Yeah, we'll do it. It's... We'll do it. You're nearly ready, you know. And, yeah. and I think and I know that without disabled leaders, like I've been very, very fortunate in my career um, that the that before I became a CEO the first time around, I worked for a, a disabled leader and yeah. I i mean, look, that person wasn't perfect um, by any stretch of the imagination. However, they did give me a chance. They did give me an opportunity that probably I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, and it worries me how many people don't get those opportunities. I, you know, I was very fortunate um, to have that opportunity. Yeah. So, you know. It's interesting. I talk about my career as people giving me a chance as well. Mm. Um, mm. But in the large part, we we deserved that chance and yep. it wasn't really a chance. We worked for it. Mm. Um, mm. And so uh, it didn't, but it is a chance in the sense that most people don't get given that opportunity. No. So, um, no. yeah. Well, I'm going to end on our last question, which we ask every single guest which is when you want to get fired up to create some change what song do you listen to oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) that's a really difficult question because I'm a musician right so I listen to heaps of music um Fired up to create some change. Oh, That's the, the vibe. I, I often, I often listen to the um, uh, that hit me with your best shot song, the Pat Pat Benatar yes. song. Yes, and love and it. And it's because um, I almost sang it and then I held yeah, back. No, me yes. too. Me too. It's probably for the best. But um, I I really like that song because. Well, for one thing, it often reminds me of Julia Gillard. I don't know whether you recall, but. Um, you know, she was in Parliament one day and, you know, Tony Abbott was giving her a hard time as per usual and yeah. and she kind of went, look, just hit, hit me with your best shot or give me your best shot. Yeah. And, I, and I just thought, oh, my God, that was incredible to watch, you know, someone just going, yeah, yeah give it to me, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, whatever you give me, I can take. Yeah, and, and that is often how I feel. Um as a as a leader with disability, you know, I often do feel like I'm just sort of going out into the fray, ready to be kind of 
you know, hit with whatever ableism anyone wants to throw at me on any given day. Um, So it really, yeah, just helps me. It reminds me that, yeah, you know, it's, I'll get through it. So hit me with your best shot. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's being added to the playlist. We're collecting a playlist so that, that the change makers have a pretty um intense playlist to listen to when they want to create some change we've got some some great songs also a lot of variety I can't yeah, tell right. you like the variety well, that's there I was just I was just thinking I must be a little bit um obsessed with guns or shots or something because the other one would be the you know um the Hamilton song you know I'm um uh, my shot, which is, you know, I'm I'm not going to throw away my shot to make a difference. Well, so. that is very funny because uh, Mr. Kurt Fernley chose a Hamilton song, so oh, wow, um, yeah, you would have We're been aligned. on exactly the same page. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emma, for joining conversations with change makers this week and for sharing your insights into leadership. Uh, it's been great chatting with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. All right, talk later. Bye. Bye.